So, what happens when a very expressive, passionate, emotional, feeler-type lady meets a logical, hyper-rational, Spock-like man? That's my son and daughter-in-law. <laughs> well, they get married, and then they typically come to me for counseling. Although for this too, this really worked out well. But, you know, sometimes we think of things which don't necessarily go together. And at times, profound thinking and deep feeling do not come together in the one place where they're most needed, and that's worship. So how do we bring together right thinking with expressive feeling in worship? We're going to see in John chapter 4 today, Jesus talks about work, worshiping in spirit and in truth, which is a way of connecting our whole self with Holy God. So if you have your Bible, iPhone, tablet with you, uh, please turn to, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be looking especially at verses 23 and 24 today. As we think about what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. John 4, 23, we'll start there. Jesus, talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So how do we worship in spirit and truth? Uh, I pastored for a while in uh, a number of years in Olathe, Kansas, and where my son and his family live now. But it dawned on me that since we're not in Kansas anymore, <clears throat> maybe one way to think about this is by thinking through it in terms of scarecrow worship and tin man worship. So first of all, uh, scarecrow worship. It would be better if it only had a brain. Some churches specialize in generating emotion. Worship becomes evaluated in terms of how much emotion is generated. But in time, the law of diminishing returns sets in and it takes more and more to be able to reach the same level of an emotional high. So, stories have to get more dramatic, prayers more fervent, singing more vibrant, preaching more anointed, and all of this done to try to achieve some level of emotional rush. This worship is strange fire in that it brings heat but not light. Such worship is often shallow, 
sometimes artificial, and rarely reflective. Little attention is given to worshiping with the mind. It produces people who have little depth or rootedness in biblical truth. And it may result in what Romans 10.2 refers to as having a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They may become worship junkies searching for whichever church is going to supply the best rush. This is scarecrow worship. And it would be better if it only had a brain. On the other extreme is what we might think of as tin man worship. Tin man worship would be better if it only had a heart. Some churches focus keenly on cognitive correctness. They recite creeds from memory. They speak in lofty language. They distribute reams of exegetical notes as if the weight of one's notes served as a measure of one's faith. Those people have truth, but they're just not all that excited about it. Their heart and their spirit Do not know the wonder and the passion of those in Scripture who, when they encountered God, fell down on their face. Those who attend Tin Man services are quick and competent to point out any theological drift, but the unspoken truth is they're also a little bored. Their worship is often dry, sometimes unmoving, and rarely passionate. There's no balm in their ointment, no awe in their spirit, no celebration in their hearts. This strange fire has light, but no heat. This is tin man worship. It would be better... If it only had a heart. So how do we have a zeal for God which is according to knowledge? Or, or how do we bring scarecrow worship and tin man worship together? Well, the passage that we're looking at today, I believe, is Jesus' answer to that. To worship in spirit and in truth. So what does it mean then for us to worship in spirit and the truth. And that's what we want to think about today. So first of all, worshiping in spirit. Verse 24, Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Notice that this is a command. This is what God expects. He's looking for this. And you must worship, if you're a true worshiper, in spirit and truth. To not worship in spirit and truth is to not Worship. So what does it mean to worship in spirit? Well, let me begin with a negative. First of all, it does not mean merely external display. The main idea behind worshiping in spirit is not spirited worship, but spiritual worship. This is because God is spirit. This is Jesus' point here. God is spirit, 
And those who worship him must worship in spirit. Because it, it reflects his character. It goes back to who he is. It's spiritual worship because he is spirit. That's the point. And spiritual worship can be spirited. But notice the order and the emphasis. It must first of all be spiritual worship. Because we worship with our whole being, it includes our full range of emotions, our, our joy, our sorrow, our adoration. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. I want to look at a, a couple of verses there for these next two points. Galatians 5, starting at verse 16. Galatians 5.16 I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and they are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. This is true in worship as well. In order to worship in Spirit, we must walk in Spirit, Because a draw of the flesh is always there to want to lead us down one path or another, but not in the Spirit. The flesh lusts against the Spirit. And so we want to walk in the Spirit in order to worship in the Spirit. So my second point is that worship in Spirit is seen by the fruit of the Spirit. For indeed, if we are walking in Spirit in order to worship in Spirit we'll have the fruit of the Spirit, which will be reflected in our worship. So the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So our, our worship ought to be reflected in this. When we're worshiping, we ought to be filled with the love for God. And the love of God for others. Love is a definite part of worshiping in spirit. But, but so is joy. We have great joy in worshiping our Savior because of who He is and, and what He's done. We should rejoice in that. We have peace. Uh, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that that peace ought to be flooding us as part of our worship. All the elements of the fruit of the Spirit. Notice what the last one is. Self-control. Worship, which does not have self-control, which is out of control, is not spirit-generated worship. may be spirited, but it's not spiritual. By the way, think of someone you know who regularly demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit in their life and ask them if they have worshipped. I find that those kind of people are the ones who, who worship no, no matter how bad the singing was or the preaching was. They still worship because they have come to connect with God. Next we find, uh, going back to John chapter 4, 
uh, we find that worship cannot be confined to a place. In fact, this is Jesus' answer in response to the Samaritan woman, woman's question. If you go back to verse 20 of John 4, she is changing the, the topic and so she brings up worship, and she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we, one ought to worship. So it's like, well, which one is it? Let's get into that debate. But Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. We don't have to have a certain kind of place or building or surrounding or atmosphere in order to worship God. In fact, if this building were to be taken away by a tornado this next week or burned down by a fire, could we worship next Sunday? Absolutely. Because this is a beautiful building, but it's not the church. It's the facility of the church. You are the church. And where the church is gathered, that's where we worship. So it doesn't have to be, it's not confined to a, a certain place or atmosphere or building. Next, uh, we see that God cannot be reduced to an image because God is spirit. And you can make no image of spirit. It's just impossible to do. So we are not to worship his image, but we, by worshiping, reflect his image. And the more that we reflect his image, the greater we worship him. So you know why God said not to make an image of him in Exodus 20? She'll make no image of me, have no image before me. Because God has already done it. He's made an image of himself. Guess what it is? It's us. Genesis 1, 26, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. But what happened in the garden is sin entered in and the image was irreversibly marred, damaged, so that we do not look anything like that original image. All have sinned and fallen short of reflecting the glory of God the way we should. And so all of our Christian life is about trying to grow into Christ's likeness. And the more we get like Christ, the more we reflect his image and the closer we come to truly worshiping him. Next, we find that we must have the spirit within in order to worship in spirit. People who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who have not been born again, cannot worship because they are spiritually dead. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says, No one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, they can mouth those words, but they can't say them with meaning like, This is true of me. Jesus is Lord. 
Romans 8, 9 says that if, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. And so you have to have the Spirit of God to be able to worship in spirit. And to extend this idea, those who are filled with the Spirit are more likely to worship in spirit. Next we see that the Spirit guides us into truth. So worshiping in spirit has to do with truth because Jesus said in John 17, 13, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will declare all truth to you. And so to worship in spirit is to worship in truth. And finally, the Spirit guides us to glorify Jesus. John 16, 14, Jesus said that He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and He will declare it to you. So the Spirit glorifies the Son of God, Jesus Christ. All of our worship then, if it's worship in spirit, ought to be directed at glorifying Jesus. Not glorifying the Spirit, although the Holy Spirit is equally God, but He leads us to glorify the Son. So that's worship in spirit, but what about worship in truth? Well, first of all, the instruction to worship in truth is in verses 22 through 26. First of all, it's on a need-to-know basis. Verse 22. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Here Jesus is referring to the Samaritan woman because Samaritans only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. They rejected the rest of the Old Testament scriptures. So they didn't have the whole story. That's why he's saying, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're worshiping. You don't have the whole story. And now it's in a transition time between the Old Testament and the New Covenant in Christ. And so that's why he's saying the time is coming and now is. Because he's declaring a new time of worship. Because there's something else coming. That's the new covenant. And now we have not only the rest of the Old Testament, we have all the New Testament as well. And what he's pointing to is that worship is based on the Word of God. They had incomplete knowledge of God's plan. For instance, he says, We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. That wasn't revealed till after the Pentateuch, clearly. So we need to know what, what it is that we're worshiping. We have to have the biblical truth behind our worship. Secondly, we see that it is what the Father seeks. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. People often say something like, what I'm looking for in worship is fill in the blank. When maybe we ought to be saying, what is God looking for in worship? 
What is He seeking from us in worship? Not what am I seeking to get out of it. What is He seeking from us? He is seeking people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then also we see it is focused on Jesus. Verses 25 and 26. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Literally, if I could render this, the Greek quite literal, it says, I, the one speaking to you, I am. He's declaring himself to be the great I am. He is the one to worship. He is the Christ. He's the anointed one. He is the Messiah. And we come to focus on him, to worship him. So what is truth? If we borrow that question from Pontius Pilate. What is truth? Well, several things we notice. First of all, God's word is truth. This book. John 17, 17. And Jesus in his high priestly prayer says, Father, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. So this does not just contain truth or true statements. It is truth. Your word is truth. So to worship in truth must be based on the Bible. Secondly, well, let me expand on that a little bit. So what is our, our part in this? If, if the word is truth and we're to worship in truth, our part is to know this book, to, to be in the word, to follow the word, to obey the word. And not because the truth makes us brilliant, but because the truth makes us broken. And when we, we come to the word and God does his work in our heart through his word, then he's able to, to remake us into the image of his son. David wrote, the sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. So God's word is truth. Secondly, God's son is truth. As Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a truth, I am the truth. So because he is the truth and we are to worship in truth, again, it comes back to our Savior, Jesus Christ, whom we honor and worship. And then the Spirit is truth. John sixteen thirteen, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. But also 1 John 5, 6 says that the Spirit is truth. These things and these three things only are called the truth in the Bible. The Word of God, the Son of God, and the Spirit of God. So, 
what does worship in spirit and truth look like? If you would, turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. So Colossians 3.16, I think, brings it together for us in one verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So it is the truth, the word of God dwelling in us, not just kind of a visitor, but dwelling in us. Richly, that means abundantly, in all wisdom, so that we are teaching and admonishing one another. But notice how it's not just through the spoken word, it's through the word sung, the word in song. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace or with thankfulness, with gratitude in your heart to the Lord. So the, the singing is bound up in the, from a grateful heart for the biblical truths that we're singing. Uh, like I love that song we, I loved all the songs we sang today, but especially that one, We Believe, because it recites to us, it reminds us of the, the, the core doctrines, the things that we believe that are important. And so we're singing those things to one another. We're singing or teaching and admonishing one another in song, in worship. We're sharing the truth that way. It's through the word spoken, but also the word sung. And why the word sung? I want to remind you of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. I shared this with you last week, but it bears repeating. The fact that we do not just speak the word... But sing it expresses the fact that our spoken words are inadequate to express what we want to say. That the burden of our song goes far beyond all human words. And so, you know, words cannot fully express the greatness of our God. Maybe you felt that, like I have, a uh, kind of a frustration and you, you just can't describe how great God is. I can, I can never praise Him enough. It reminds me of when I, when I go to look for a card for my dear Sherry. And I, I'm frustrated in looking for a card like an anniversary card or a Valentine's Day card or whatever. Because no card I've ever found truly expresses my heart of how much love I have for that woman. There's just no card ever written that can say it. Which now gets me off the hook for ever having to buy another card. (laughs) 
I've tried to write some in the past. And I can't fully express it. But I, see, I feel that way about worship too. That I, I can't really fully express the worship our Savior deserves. But I do think that song helps me say it better than just words. And so when we are worshiping God, it's not just through the spoken word, it's through the, the word sung. And why we need to make sure that the, the songs we're singing have biblical truth and they're done in a way that we can sing them together and, and together lift up the grandeur of our Savior and express our love and devotion to Him. Not perfectly, because we never will be able to perfectly, but perhaps better than we have. So, maybe a definition on, on worship. It is, um, worship is Bible-based, Spirit-energized, and Christ-centered. Or I like to think of it this way, that as we look to the Word of God, the Spirit of God opens our understanding to the truth of God so that we can glorify the Son of God. That's what it should be. As we come together and we we look at the Word of God and we sing to each other the Word of God, biblical truth, then the Spirit of God works in us to open our understanding to the truth of God so that we can more fully glorify the Son of God. I hope you will join me, therefore, in making a commitment today to quit looking at worship for what we can get out of it and instead how we can prepare our hearts to pour into it praise our Savior. Instead of asking, was worship meaningful to me or to you? Asking, was worship glorifying to our great God? Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we pray that our worship may be a fire containing both heat and light, engaging both deep feeling and biblical thinking, may be done in spirit and in truth, from a blood-bleached heart and a word-soaked mind, and all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.